Why do we have a, a ministry that's really geared towards our, our singles and our young professionals? Well, quite honestly, oftentimes in many churches, and I do believe it's unintentional, it's just the way things can happen. Oftentimes a church can just kind of operate the way the married couples go. And, uh, and again, I don't think anybody has evil intentions. I just think that's kind of the way it can happen. And uh, oftentimes we have a, we really focus on our great college ministry and we have a, make sure we got to have a minister for our high school and our middle school. You know, the parents, you know, they, they, they support the church. So we got to make sure the parents, are, their families are taken care of. And sometimes we, we don't realize that, hey, you know what? The, the folks that aren't married got a lot to offer too. And uh, they don't have to, and sometimes society tells people you have to, once you get married, then, okay, now you're really a respectable person in our culture. And, and that's an un, sometimes it's unsaid, but that's just the way it can be. And it stinks when that can happen in the church. And, uh, and so that's one of the reasons why we felt like we needed to have a ministry to, to give uh, people that aren't married yet a voice. Uh, if you have, if, and I have to say this often because sometimes we forget. There's this guy in the Bible named Jesus, and he wasn't married. Okay? Have you ever heard of him? Right? He wasn't married. He did okay spiritually, and he was able to lead people. Right? Uh, Jesus, Jesus had a guy precede him. Jesus said this guy was the greatest prophet. His name was John the Baptist. As far as we know, he wasn't married. The guy that wrote most of the New Testament was a guy named Paul. As far as we know, he wasn't married. And so I think sometimes we just, we just got to sit back and remember, you know, people that aren't married can do a lot in the church. Uh, or people that have only been married a year or just got married and are in their 20s or, and young. Uh, they've got a lot to offer the church too, even though they don't have tons of, of marital wisdom yet. And so that's kind of the spirit behind the, the EDGE ministry. And uh, so today we're going to, you know, we have 52 Sundays in a year. And this is one of the, the, the rare times where we get to have you get to hear a message uh, from those that aren't married. And I, I hope that you pray for them even as they preach and pray for the Spirit to fill them. But we've got two people that really are going to give you their hearts and uh, open up the scriptures. And uh, first we're going to hear from uh, Jacqueline Guthrie. And uh, she's uh, just a, a powerful young lady. Uh, I remember uh, when uh, Lynn, she came back from the Denver uh, Singles Conference a couple of years ago and she heard Jacqueline speak and I mean, Lynn just could not stop talking just about how powerful a moment that was for Lynn. And uh, when Lynn says that, you go, okay, that must have been some uh, very powerful uh, message. Uh, and, and just her convictions uh, by her walk with God. Uh, she's she's an, uh, an author. She's a physical therapist. She's, she's a, a servant in the church. And, uh, and she's going to be the, the first one to, to share with us this morning. And uh, also very, very grateful to have uh, Jeremiah Lindley uh, here with us. And uh, amen. And uh, Jeremiah... Uh, spent similar to, to Ashley Wright. Jer Jeremiah was here uh, a few years back. He was a member of North River and really a great servant uh, while he was here. He served in, in many churches and uh, right now he's in uh, Memphis, uh, but I met him in California. We served the Lord out there. And uh, so I've really appreciated uh, Jeremy's willingness and heart uh, to serve God and his zeal. And God's got a lot of, he got a lot of fire in his belly. And uh, so I'm just grateful for, for both of them. So, uh, <laughs> amen. And so what I'd like to do is I'm going to say a prayer, and uh, after I pray, you know, uh, Jacqueline, you can come on up. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, we want to humble ourselves before you. We want to 
be receptive uh, to what you have put on Jeremiah's heart and Jacqueline's heart. Father, we're grateful for the scriptures that they're going to share with us. And uh, we pray that you can fill them with your spirit. And that the Holy Spirit will be powerful in them. And that uh, we will be moved and we will be encouraged, inspired, and challenged. Father, whatever you need for us to hear, I pray that we can hear it. And not just hear it, but be willing to act on it. And so, Father, I know that they can feel very nervous right now. And speaking to a, a group of people they don't know ton, uh, very well. And, uh, but God, I just pray you give them that peace that transcends all understanding. And uh, give them courage to share from their hearts and, uh, and share from your word. And uh, Father, I'm grateful for this time. And thank you for all those uh, that aren't married here and the young professionals uh, in the EDGE ministry. And for all that they contribute to the health of this congregation. Uh, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Jack. I don't have to. I don't have to move this too much. No, you don't. <laughs> Might have to pull it up a little. You good? No, I'm good. All right. Good morning. My name is. I'm gonna move it up a little bit. You just yeah. keep going. Well, good morning. My name is Jacqueline Guthrie. I'm so honored for this opportunity just to really be able to share about how God has unleashed my dreams. I remember I was thinking, when did this all really start happening for me? And I remember as a young Christian in college, I remember having a quiet time and reading about Solomon. And when God came to him in a dream and said, ask for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And I remember in that quiet time thinking, if God asked me that question, what would I ask for? And at that time, I pulled out a sheet of paper and I just started writing down all of my dreams. I mean, spiritual, not spiritual. I just said, God said anything. So I was like, and I wrote down anything and everything I could think of and just started praying over that list. And I think I became a believer a year later when I saw God answer one of my impossible dreams on that list. I remember praying for a brand new car. I had been asking my mom for years for a car and she was like, you'll get a car when you buy one. And uh, <laughs> so I was like, okay. But I remember the day she was like, let's go look for cars. And we were looking at new cars. And I drove off the lot that day with a new car and all I could think was, God answered my prayer. God made an impossible thing come true. And that really, that moment etched in my mind a time where I was like, it changed my prayer life from that moment forward. I said I would never be afraid to ask God for what I want because I said God has shown me that if you just are willing to ask, he can answer. And so from that time for years since then, every year I have, uh, I'll make all of my dreams, I'll write them out and I'll pray over them and I put them in my prayer box and I've seen God answer so many of my prayers. So this week in preparation, <laughs> For talking, I went through my prayer box and I found this little sheet of paper that I wrote. I actually a little bit forgot about this prayer. On January 1st of 2014, this was what I wrote. I want to finish my book in time for the International Singles Conference in September and that I get a chance to speak at the conference. And I remember at the time thinking, I don't even know how this is going to happen. I had just started working on the book that my book is about my journey with being single and being a disciple and doing it God's way. But I was, I was like, how, how am I going to speak at a conference? I was like, don't nobody know me. I was like, but I said, God can make it happen. 
And you know, I really have come to learn that sometimes when you have dreams that Satan will try to discourage you. I remember a couple of weeks after this, sharing with an older Christian at church, pray for me, I'm praying, I wanna speak at this conference. And this Christian said to me, older Christian, I've been around for 30 years. I've never been asked to speak at a conference. You can pray, but don't get your hopes up. And I remember it was like, it was like a balloon that just deflated. I was so crushed. I remember I left that service and I cried all the way home. And, um, and um, I remember when I got home, I got on my knees and I said, God, don't nobody know me. Who's gonna give me an opportunity to speak at a conference? But I said, you are my God. And I said, this is your event, not the church's event. And so I said, God, I beg you, make room for me on the schedule. I ask of you, God, make room for me on the schedule. And I didn't know how God was gonna do it because like I said, I wasn't on staff. I've never been on staff. I've never been in the ministry. I was like, but I just believed in God and I said, God will do it. Several months later, I just happened to, on, by chance, be on Disciples Today and saw that they had put out a call for anyone who would like to be a TED Talk speaker at this conference. And I thought, maybe this might be it. And so I sent in my video, and I'll never forget when I got the phone call. And the brother said to me, he said, we got a lot of videos, but he said, there was something about you, and we would love for you to come and speak and be one of the TED Talk speakers. And I was like, of course. <laughs> but I don't think it really hit me what God did until actually a couple of weeks before that conference, we started going through the logistics. And he said, so you're going to speak on Friday night during the general session. And I said, I'm speaking when? He said, <laughs> he said you're going to speak Friday night. I said, to everybody? To everybody. Like, the brothers are going to be there? He was like, everybody. Like, that was beyond me. I had never even dreamed that I would be a main session speaker. I mean, I knew he said, yeah, I'd be a TED Talk speaker, but I didn't really know what that meant. And God did for me, someone who is not in the ministry, not on staff, not a professional speaker, have never spoken, gave me the opportunity to speak to 2,000 people. And not only did God do that, <laughs> that conference but this talk that I did really changed the tone of that entire conference and I said who did that God did that for me and so I'm so grateful for how God has done my story because no one else I can give the credit to no one but God about having that opportunity to speak and let me tell you two years later God is still blowing my mind from that talk because when I went to reach someone was like do you know you're on Disciples Today TV I said oh really I didn't know that and so I just happened to go on and so when you go on Disciples Today to Disciples TV, um, and you click on it, on the main page, they have the featured videos. And there are six featured videos. And so the first three are the main session speakers from Reach. There's Frank Kim, it's uh, Douglas Author, there's uh, Mike Talaferro, and then underneath that is my video. I was like, I just said, God, could I have a chance? I never even dreamed that God would do that for me. And I was like, who am I? 
I'm just an ordinary sister in the fellowship who just dared to ask God, God, can I speak at a conference and look at what God has done <laughs> for me? <laughs> and so it has, and that was a faith-building experience. But you know what is funny? I didn't even realize and remember until I read my little prayer that I had asked that my book would be finished in time for the International Singles Conference in September. And it dawned on me this week when I went through that, I said, wow, God, sometimes our prayers don't get answered when we ask, but you will answer them. You know, I was asking for September 2014. God said, no, the book will be ready for the next big conference. It'll be ready in time for reach. And I didn't even realize that until I saw this. You know, when it came to the, you know, so I think God knew between that period, there was a lot that happened. So after that mountaintop experience at the conference, Right after that, I came back and my whole world turned upside down. The job that I had, I had to leave. The church that I loved, I had to leave. And now I was here at North River and I was just in a horrible place. Emotionally, spiritually, I was just struggling. And I think that what God has taught me in writing this book, that sometimes when you are in those low places and you're not able to dream, he will bring people into your life who will carry you through that time. And when I was here, I ended up, God, and I've been fortunate, God has put a lot of people like that, but one in particular has been Terrell Brand. And that sister just loved me, she um, encouraged me, but one thing she always kept asking me, what's going on with the book? How's the book doing? We need to move it along. And I just would say, well, I'm stuck at, in these 15, I need $1,500, and I'm not sure if I want to invest that kind of money to edit it. And that's where I was for the last two years. And then earlier this year, really the holidays and into January, I was really at a low place. And I remember just praying and saying, God, I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me to finish this book. I'm struggling. I'm mad. Another year has come. I'm still single. I'm just mad. And I don't care about this book. Amen for being celibacy and all of that. I don't care. I'm struggling. And I remember I, in my prayer, I said, God... If you want this book out, you are going to have to move it along. And that was my prayer in tears. I'm like, you are going to have to move it along. And don't you know, a couple of weeks after that, God started to move it along. I was getting with Terrell and hanging out, and she asked me, what's going on with the book? I, it needs editing. She said, this is dumb. Give me the book. I will edit it. <laughs> and she did for free. She edited the book. I started to see God moving along. God, I, I don't know nothing about publishing. How is it going to get published? Ended up at one of our little watermelon midweeks, ran into Diane Knight. Diane, you did write a book, didn't you? Gave me the information, gave me her sister's information. God was moving it along. I got to the publishing, I don't know what I'm doing. Her sister Danielle said, don't worry, just give me the manuscript. I'll take care of everything. She set everything up. The pages, was how the setup, she did all of that. God was moving it along. And then I was like trying to get it to reach. A whole bunch of stuff happened at the end. Literally the week before reach, the book got sent to the printers. And I was like just hoping and praying <laughs> that it would get there in enough time. By, so I had the book shipped to St. Louis. I was like, God, you're going to have to do it. Of course, by this time, there was no book tables available left. And I remember when I got the email 
that there were no more tables available at REACH, I remember thinking a book table does not determine my, the success. Victory rests with the Lord. I said, all right, God, let's see what you're going to do. And that's, what, and that's how it happened. And so my friend Christy came up with the idea of t-shirts. So she made t-shirts. And we had flyers and my roller bag. And I said, 100 books is what I'm bringing. Not impossible, but that's hard when you don't have a book table to sell 100 books. And we got, and I got there Thursday night. Between Friday and Saturday, I sold 90 books. That was God with no book table, a t-shirt, and some flyers. That was God. By Sunday morning at REACH, I only had six books left. By the end of service, I had four. By the time I made it to the hotel, I had two. And by the time I left the hotel, all 100 books had been sold. Who does that? <laughs> Who does that? And so I just, just totally have just blown my mind. And then, so I came back, I said, we on a roll, guys. So I said, God, I said, God, I want three speaking engagements. Mind you, I'm not in the ministry, never been in the ministry. I'm like, I'm not even leading a Bible talk right now. So I'm like, God, I want three speaking engagements. A month and a half ago, got a call from Bridgepoint. We'd love for you to come and speak to the single women. So last Saturday I went, the whole workshop was revolved around me and the book. Tammy Barnett at the end said, everyone needs to hear this. Can you come back and speak to all of the women? So in two weeks, I'm going back to speak to all of the women. Who has done this? And I really say all of this because the beauty of my story is I am an ordinary sister, really. I'm just an ordinary sister who have chosen to believe in an extraordinary God. I am just an ordinary sister in the fellowship. The only title I have is Disciple of Jesus. And that's it. But I have dared to ask God for impossible and extraordinary things. And I have seen God do it. And I don't want to get it twisted. It's not like every single prayer I have prayed for, God has asked for. You know, the book is really about my journey with being single. I have been asking God for the last 20 years, God, can I just have a husband and a family? And one thing through the ups, the downs, the struggles of it all, I have not stopped praying and asking God. October 1st will be 21 years, so I said, okay, God, we're going into 21 years, but we're going to keep praying because I believe that God can do immeasurably more. So I hope that this encourages you and that you take heart. Dream, but ask God, and don't give up asking because you never know what he will do. Thank you. Give it up for our sister one more time. Jacqueline, thank you for uh, inspiring us to dream and to pray big dreams. Good morning, North River Church. Uh, my name is Jeremiah Lindley, and I have the honor of being able to serve uh, the Memphis Church in the Memphis Church Singles. Uh, I work as a... Uh, as a Title I teacher at a Title I school district in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, on behalf of the leaders here 
in the North River Church and uh, throughout the Southeast, we want to extend a special welcome to all the aspiring single leaders visiting from all over the Southeastern Conference family of churches in the International Churches of Christ here in Atlanta this morning. The title of today's lesson is Unleashing the Fire of God. In 1999, at the University of Texas at Arlington, a few blocks away from where Alabama rolled USC yesterday, a 20-year-old sophomore named Dominique Igadosa, who is also the brother-in-law of Anawa Uzor here in the North River Church, he invited a 19-year-old scrawny, insecure freshman whom was rapidly losing his hair, <laughs> whom just 12 months earlier as a senior in high school began visiting this controversial church full of radical young men who called themselves disciples and were bent on winning the world for God at all costs. And he invited me to study the Bible. And I thought, church, that this was going to be a nice little, you know, kumbaya Bible study where we were just going to get together and, and share some thoughts on the scriptures. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Dominique began showing me the all-in commitment that Jesus expects from everyone who would claim to follow him in the redemption and forgiveness of sins that comes with making him Lord, repenting, and being baptized. As the word of God was convicting and challenging my religious, self-focused life, the brother studying with me then showed me God's dream of radically changing the world by calling us to wrap our entire lives and all of our dreams and ambitions around the call of making disciples of all nations and training others to do likewise. These men helped build a campus ministry from seven disciples to 103 in four years. The men who studied the Bible with me were unleashing the fire of God at the University of Texas at Arlington. And if I may, church, I want to share with, let me take the back. I want to preach to the men this morning in the North River Church in the Southeast family of churches. We are having this unleashed weekend because the men in our world, the men in our country, the men in our cities, and the men in the Southeast family of churches are under attack by Satan and his legion of demons. Some brothers are scared to take sisters out. When I studied the Bible, one of the things I thought was really, really cool is they told me, hey, you can ask any sister that's single out and she'll say yes. And that was a big deal for me because I was used to asking women out in the world and them saying no. And so I was like, really? Any, any of them? And they're like, yeah, any one of them. And we go on dates every single weekend. And I was like, whoa. So it like takes all the, all the fear out of it, right? But even with that in place, still have brothers 
scared to ask the sisters on dates. Infidelity has crept into the marriages in the church. Divorce has crept in to the church. This is one that, uh, to my shame and in all humility, I know all too well the struggle. Pornography has roared its ugly head. And as someone who has been enslaved, freed, enslaved, and freed again by the grace of God, this is a struggle that I know just absolutely rips the spiritual fire out of the hearts of men. Sexual immorality plagues our world. Men with women that they're not married to and men with men. And the one thing I think is most destructive, especially in the church of God, is selfish ambition. Trying to wrap God's mission and his dream around yours. Instead of wrapping your dreams and your ambitions around his. God's mission and plan is to go. And as a fellowship of churches, to be honest, we're growing at a rate of 2%. And we just got up to 2%. When the call to go on mission teams goes out, people stay put. Bible talks have had stagnant growth. We have a lot of great aspiring Bible talk leaders that want to change our world. There are men who haven't been in a study in months and aren't alarmed or shared their faith in years and are okay with it. And I must say this as I'm talking to the men. It is awesome seeing the amazing things that the women are doing. Jacqueline's faith is inspiring. I felt like I could go home after Adrian came up and shared with us this morning. It was so amazing. I claim her as a sister. And I get fired up when I see the women up week after week, baptizing sisters, baptizing women week after week in the marrieds and singles. And I know this might not pertain to North River, but I don't like getting out baptized four to one by the sisters year after year after year. Amen for every sister that gets baptized. But there's a part of me when I see the sisters getting up baptizing week after week that I inwardly burn not seeing the guys up there doing the same. Where are the dreamers at this morning, church? Where are the men who will build the kingdom of God? Where are the missionary men at this morning? I want to take a look at a man this morning who is alarmed by the state of things amongst God's people. He saw the spiritual apathy and darkness that prevailed in Israel around 2,700 years ago. And it burned him. And he unleashed the fire of God and changed the nation. 1 Kings chapter 18. 
didn't give me much time, so I'm going to go ahead and get started. Amen. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. That tends to happen when you're convicted. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood. But do not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And what happens here is these 450 prophets, they erect an altar. They put a sacrifice on top of that altar. And they've got wood under the altar. And they start crying out to their God, the God of Baal. Now, at the time Israel was going through a drought, and Baal was kind of the God of thunder, the God of rain, and so it makes sense that people were worshiping him because they wanted rain to fall on the land. And so they're cutting themselves with swords, worshiping them, doing their dances, and nothing happens. So Elijah decides to start taunting them a little bit. And he goes, shout louder. Maybe he's taking a nap. <laughs> One of the scriptures actually says, maybe he's relieving himself. I'm talking to the men this morning. <laughs> One says, maybe he's traveling. One says, maybe he's asleep and needs to be waking up. So they're slashing themselves. They shout louder. Nothing happens says no one heard him no one paid attention then down in verse 30 says then Elijah said to all the people come here to me they came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which was in ruins Elijah took 12 stones one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying your name shall be Israel and then down in verse uh, 32 it says Elijah took 12 stones, one of each of the tribes descended of Israel. It says, verse 32, with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seeds of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the little moat around it. Now, I got to say something about this. My mom lives in a little bitty town outside of Austin, Texas called Bastrop. And it is country out there. When you go out there, it's like going through the sticks. And... One of the hardest things to do is after a rainstorm when all the trees and the limbs have fallen off in your, your property and you got to clear it up. One of the hardest things to do is to burn it because the wood is wet. And, you know, as a guy, I'll go home sometimes and I like playing around. We've got a burn pit out there and uh, me and some of my relatives will mess around the burn pit. 
almost burned myself up this past summer messing around. I'm going to post that video on Facebook. Y'all should look at it. It's really funny. It didn't feel good at the time, but I singed all the hairs up my leg. Anyway, so one of the hardest things to do is to burn wet wood. It doesn't matter how much gasoline you pour on it. It'll light up and go out. Light up, go out. It's virtually impossible to do it. And he told them to pour four large jars of water on the wood. I think he meant to make a statement. says, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. The wood, which had four large jars of water poured on it. The stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. When righteous men take a stand and unleash the fire of God, amazing things happen. And I think we're at a point where the men of the church have to take up and take a radical stand. It's time to stand up. If we're going to make it to heaven and take the world with us, it is time to unleash the fire of God, men, evangelistically. It's time to unleash the fire of God in our neighborhoods through mission-minded marriages, through mission-minded dating. It's time to unleash the fire of God through mission-minded careers. It's time to unleash the fire of God through mission-minded churches. It's time to unleash the fire of God through mission-minded mentoring, otherwise known as discipling. I think we believe in that, right? And it's kind of good to do it once a week. It's time to unleash the power of God through mission-minded relationships. It is time to unleash the fire of God in our church, amen. And if we as mighty men of God who will stand before God and will give an account of what we did with our life one day, if we will each commit, recommit, or in some cases, just stay committed to unleashing the fire of God daily, then we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant on that day. And we will truly change the world along the way. Let's be unleashed.